Hi guys, this is uh, Morris Duffy and I'm absolutely thrilled and delighted to be with one of my heroes, a guy I've known for a long time, uh, an arch communicator, uh, a huge business strategist, uh, a political animal, if that's one way I can possibly describe you, John, right, as a political animal, a commentator, an author, um, a communicator, a journalist. Uh, I don't know what else to describe you, John. How else would you describe yourself? As a strategist, um... So I do think strategy is like so much more important. Most people uh, think a strategy is a list of actions. That's just a tactical execution. Mm -hmm. I really think when you've got a difficulty, elevate, elevate, elevate. And when you get to the frame of the strategy, then you can say, okay, can I now tell a story about this? And if you can't tell a story about it, you're never going to have a strategy. You're not going to be effective. So I think the strategy and the communication sit together tightly. Okay, so we've kind of captured you. So where are you today? Where do we I'm, in, uh, I'm at home. I'm at home in Peckham. I'm in my dining room, which has not had a lot of use recently because we've not been able to have people around. But it's um, it's where my music is. It's where uh, my books are. You can see uh, actually in the top corner of the the screen, you can see some old video cassettes. I still have VHS cassettes of old films that you can't get on DVD. I've, I've kept them, and I've got vinyl on the bottom rack of the bookshelf. So it's kind of a, it's, a, it's a great. It's our great place for entertainment. And during Christmas, um, the fire will be constantly on. And it's a nice place just to sit and have a pile of books by one side of a chair and read, sit down and read through them. And just, um, and this has been like, this is a lockdown for me has been a reading moment. I've read more books in the first six months of the year than I normally read in the whole year. So I've had a, I've had a, good, a, a good time doing that, actually. Okay. And what's, what's work? What work have you been involved in over the, the lockdown period? So I'm doing, um, I do two types of work. I, I work for BCW, which is one of the big uh, PR, third biggest PR company in the world. And we've been, um, we've done an interesting, we've done a global launch of a thing we call Nexus, which is um, our view of how the world of communications and uh, strategic communications and um, influencing and issues is, is, is changing, being changed by COVID and uh, looking looking to take back to clients a bit of a reflection on you know my view covid most people think covid's a mirror and it reflects back to them the the idea that they most love is the one that now should be implemented but it's universal basic income or cycleways everywhere or um greening the economy um covid i think is a really harsh light it's shining a harsh light on the status quo um and saying to to, to our clients this thing is happening new voices are emerging, new coalitions are emerging. This, we're not moving into a new normal because I think we're just moving to the next normal. We're just kind of moving to something which will change to something else. So we've been doing a lot of thinking around the world of issues and, and strategic communications. And then quite a lot of companies have come up with a whole range of things. Um, uh, bakery uh, companies who find that um, Local authorities declare, don't think their lorry drivers are key workers, um, don't think their bakery staff are key workers. So getting some of the niggles out of the system um, and just the general thing, which is um, making really clear to people how they act now. If you take any public money, how you act now will be judged by the public and you need to be thinking about how you're giving back. You need and to be doing that. You've worked for uh, a number of prime ministers uh, from yeah. Tony, um, uh, Blair to Judy Gillard yeah. to uh, I know you worked in Scotland. Kind of tell us what 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 it's like working for some of these individuals. What's it like to be at the centre and watching how they perform? What 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 makes a difference? What makes it unique? 
What the the interesting thing is that you're right, you're really close to the individuals, the personalities, and the two people I worked uh, for as prime ministers, Julia and and Tony, had a couple of characteristics which I think are which are true of great leaders. Um, one is they were they were scrupulous, um, which is that they gave they gave weight to other people's arguments. It didn't matter who it came from. If you had the right argument and it was evidenced, and it they would they'd listen to it and they'd give it not not an ounce more, but not an ounce less than the weight that argument should have, which made them really good analysts of situations. Uh, they were able to step back and give that kind of that broad frame, and then in, go back down and say, "What should we be doing now?" Uh, at this moment, and they're both people who never lost their temper with staff. Um, they, if you, if they didn't, if they were, if they were disappointed in you, you felt that deeply, you felt that viscerally, and you kind of then went back to perform at a higher level for them in future. And um, both of them keep in touch with all their uh, their former staff. So, uh, Ju- wherever Julia is in the world, she checks out with the former staff are there in New York or London or. Uh, Sydney or Adelaide and she, she'll always see you so I, I see her at the moment a couple of times a year mm. coming to chair the, the Vulcan Trust so I'm going to probably be seeing her um, much more I should be here half a year um, but being in the centre what you do see is um, the need to get on top of issues I mean you you're in charge you can't delegate these things away and I think the model that we're seeing through the coronavirus crisis in, in the Prime Minister's office is a strange mixture of full centralization but no responsibility. Mm. And that's like that is a they're going around a circle of, of, of having the worst ideas about organizational uh, development and organizational leadership. I think I often say that politicians complain that they can't get change achieved through the civil service. The reason they can't get changed through the civil service is they do not have a theory of change because they have no theory of culture. They have no understanding of how you would change a culture through your leadership to reinforce the values that you want to embed in action so that you don't have to shout at people every day. People are doing the thing that you want to see the organization doing. So there's a lot, there's a, there's a real break in my, in my view between politicians who know what they want to do uh, Julie was a reformer in education. Tony was a reformer in public services. Um, and those who don't, lots of people get to the top and don't have an agenda. Uh, I think Gordon Brown was like that. Gordon Brown got, got to be prime minister and wasn't really then sure what he wants to do. He thought he wanted to be different from Tony Blair to be distinctive, but then he realized what Tony had ended up doing was probably what he would have done if he thought about it. Uh, other prime ministers just get, want to be in that position. Um, he feels uh, at times Boris Johnson wants to have been Prime Minister. He wanted to be Prime Minister and at some point in the future he will have been Prime Minister. Doing the job of being the Prime Minister, that's not quite what he wanted. So he's trying to do this chairman of the board thing, but that's not how it goes. And, and um, do, you, do you not find that politics has kind of fundamentally changed, you know? Whether it's, um, you know, it's, it's manifest itself in the way that Trump performs or in the way Boris Johnson performs or, you know, you see it in South America and you see it in lots of different places. You know, there are very few, and, and it's really interesting, there are very few good examples of political leadership and the ones that kind of come to mind are normally female, right? Um, that, that kind of are dem- demonstrating those things, for me anyway, that I personally value. Um, so what do you think as a commentator on politics? Do you think it's fundamentally changed and do you think it's going in a direction that's irreversible? I think 
there's an interesting thing going on, which is, I know there's a male-female distinction, uh, although Governor Cuomo in New York, I think he's been exemplary public, public mm, service yeah, leader. I agree. I agree. And I, I've been wondering whether the distinction to be made is between politicians who believe in government and those who don't. And so populist politicians like Bolsonaro or uh, like um, Trump, they don't actually believe that government is there to achieve things. They don't believe in government as, you know, they don't think government should be improved. They think government really is the thing that gets in the way. Um, the populist is, you know, it's the populist, the populist engine is the perception or the observation that it couldn't be worse if we threw it all up in the air and start again. Now, when you're handling a crisis, a pandemic, actually it would be made worse if you threw it all up in the air. And that the, that the, whether, it's the, whether it's Jacinda in New Zealand or Scott Morrison in Australia, so conservative and labor leaders, left and right leaders, they believe in government and they've been very effective. Angela Merkel, uh, Macron. So people who actually are leaders who, who believe that administration, public administration, public services, public health, is a thing and the other people you know the others are into why should we wear masks uh well because it reduces it, the thing about masks is it doesn't make you safe it makes others safe so it's a gesture for others and that goes against the grain of some of the politics of the insurgent mm. uh, and so i i I'd, i would say that what you what you've seen is um governments are back um experts are back there's been quite a silence from the anti-vaxxers um, uh, during, during most of the pandemic. I think most anti-vaxxers are secretly thinking, I hope there's a vaccine for this thing. This thing does seem to be like a really serious thing. There's a vaccine for that, and let's go back to being against the other vaccines. So I, but I think things are still, things are still contested. So uh, I saw some really interesting polling yesterday uh, from um, the campaign group more in common who are trying to they're basically trying to work out why in america why in britain why in continental europe there are these divisions what is it that's driving division in society and how can you find ways of talking to uh to voters and they found that the three top concerns of voters uh across europe are health obviously it's a pandemic jobs obviously uh, because it's causing a recession the response caused a recession and the third one is um environment which is really interesting uh, because they do want, they do, there's something about, they see the, the, the quieter streets, the cleaner air, the lack of contrails in the sky. It's made up, it had some resonance that we can change things. It's given them a, a strange sense that it's also got people to a point where they, they're willing to talk about, you know, greening the economy and all these things. And I was discussing it with the, the guy who did the research and doing the presentation. And I said this, you know, the tension is, you know, what about the debate about climate change? And he said, don't talk about climate change. Talk about environment. Talk about communities. Talk about local things. Talk, and when you, when you have the frame and the language and the discussion in those ways, people come much closer to you and come on the journey with you. And I think that, in a way, is what I think, what have we seen? We've seen that leadership matters. Hmm. The difference between different countries done, done well and badly, in the end, runs to leadership. Um, which tells you what we knew, politics, government, leadership, they matter. Good leaders make a big difference and bad leaders sadly make a really, really big difference. So I'm, so I'm going to push you for a couple of predictions here as to, uh, you know, when uh, this podcast goes out, we, <laughs> we, we, we shall see, um, we yep. shall see you know, whether the strategist 
has got it right. So is Trump going to win in November? No, Trump is toast. He's toast. Okay. Is Boris Johnson going to last the five years? Uh, I, don't, I don't think he'll last the five years. If the Conservative Party decide that he can't win them the election, they will chop him down as ruthlessly as he chopped down Theresa May. And I think the Conservative Party are the most successful uh, party in Western Europe electorally, and they have been since the 1830s when the franchise started being expanded. They are the most successful, uh, longest lasting, most victorious Conservative Party uh, in Western Europe because they have that ruthless, ruthless streak. And you, when you have a situation where in the middle of the pandemic, all of the money that's being issued by the government to support uh, workers being furloughed hasn't got government branding on at all. It's got the chance of the Exchequer signature on it. Rishi Sunak, the menswear brand as chancellor. Um, uh, You've, you've got somebody already working to say, I'm here. And equally, you've got Jeremy Hunt going, I'm here. I'm a very competent health uh, select committee chair. So the, Tory, the, Tories aren't, the Tories are spot for choice if they want to make a change. And their character and inherent character is they don't panic, they just act. Uh, Brexit going to happen? Oh, Brexit has happened. We've left. Uh, no, I, know, I know it has happened. So are we, going, are we going out with a deal or are we going out uh, uh, no, with no deal? We're going to go... We'll, have, we'll leave with no deal. Uh, I, don't, I think the government, one of the characteristics of this government, you do have to you take them by their word. They say that they want to leave and they don't want to accept any terms by the European Union. And they tell the European Union, unless you give us what we want, uh, then we'll leave with no deal. Um, they really mean it because they've got, they, all of their campaigns and all of their strength has always been, we say what we do. That's why they... Uh, destroyed the majority during the, last, during the end of last year. They got, just moved people out of the Tory party because they were going to do Brexit. Um, the, so I think they're going to, well, it'll be no deal or it'll be such a bare bones deal. It's, just, it's, clo- it's a deal that's as close to no deal as, as, as makes no difference. And I think the inherent weakness in the government is their, the strength is their weakness. Always, it's always the case. Their strength is they say what they do and they do it. Uh, the weakness is they've opened themselves up over COVID to you say one thing, you do another. One rule for you, one rule for us, the normal people. Um, but I think on this, they're going to stick to break. They're going to, like, you know, next year, the SNP will probably win a majority in, in Scotland. Um, they've been told by the UK government they will not be given a referendum. They won't be. I mean, these guys, at a certain level, what they say, they then do. And that for them is more important than anything else. Sticking to what you promised. Uh, whether it's the best way to get to somewhere or, you know, quite often with policy, somebody, you go into government and you say to the civil servants, we want to do this. And they go, well, there's other ways of doing it. They were actually cheaper, more effective. And they go, no, this is a, go- this is a government who says, we said it in this way. We said it in these words. We're doing it in this way. We're doing it with these words. And that's a, and a lot of people have been quite slow to recognize, you know, take them seriously, listen to their words. Right. Uh, will the EU be strengthened or weakened by um, Britain leaving? The EU is weakened in one big dimension, uh, which is that with three big countries at the centre, France, Germany, Britain, it meant that the smaller countries could find allies. Uh, if, you, you know, if you group around Britain, you could get something, or if you group around France, you had, you had a lot of people to play with. Um, and Britain's, Britain could help the Swedes with the green agenda. 
Um, and sometimes you have to gang up on the Germans because the Germans put their car industry so so much. But I think I think it, I think it has it's given them a unity of purpose. Um, uh, you, my friends in Europe, uh, in the Commission and in the Parliament, say to me, you know, we should probably give you a prize because nothing has united Europe faster in the last 20 years than Britain leaving. You've given us a common purpose. But I think once we're, up, once we're away, you then open up the two huge, in my view, the huge divides in Europe, which is there's the East-West one, which is a lot of the Eastern countries are not respecting democratic norms. And there's, apparently there's no, there's no punishment for the club. If you're in the Commonwealth, you can be expelled. If you're in the European Union, you can abolish press freedom and nothing happens to you. So that's in, and there's the north-south one, which is still going on, which is that the northern countries wish to inflict um, a regime, of, a fiscal regime that punishes Spain, Greece, Italy, Portugal. Um, and that can't last forever. That really, you've, if, you, if you're going to hang together uh, socially and economically, it can't simply be done by the currency. There's got to be other mechanisms. So the, the north-south and east-west tensions in a way they become clearer, but also there's not, you know, they lose Britain's ability to help because Britain was very strong on, uh, on accession countries and, and bringing them up democratic norms. Um, but they, are, but they, they, they kind of, they, they lose the nuisance value of Britain, uh, but they, uh, sometimes, uh, you know. And, and the other big topic, China rising or falling? Uh, China rising. I mean, the, the, the Chinese perspective would be, uh, that for, the last 1100 years, they've been the biggest economy in the world, except for the last hundred, um, that, the, that the 20th century is the aberration. So we're a bit surprised, the rise of China. They're not, they're coming back to their natural place. In there. And the thing about China has always been, when China comes back into the room, there's not much room for the rest of us to breathe because they're so big. And I find some of the debate in British politics about China to be pretty shallow. Um, in that it's always, you know, do we cooperate with them or do we confront them? Well, the answer is you cooperate, you compete, uh, you collaborate, you challenge. You use all of these different things because this is what, you know, the one thing you can, you, you, you know, is you can't run foreign policy according to some kind of moral values. Because if we're, if we're not doing trade uh, with China for, because the Uyghurs, whereas the human rights violations, then why are we doing any trade with Saudi Arabia? Mm. Well, we're doing trade with Saudi because we, because choosing between Saudi and Iran, we prefer to work with Saudi. Now, that is a legitimate decision, but in those circumstances, you then have to kind of you have to run you have to, you have to run that through everything. So this this thing is coming to a very difficult situation for us because as Britain leaves the European Union. There is a, there's a very clear, again, think what the tourists are saying, global Britain. They've got a very clear view, in my view, about what they want to do. You amalgamate uh, foreign aid back into the foreign office, uh, diff it into FCO. You probably wrap international trade back in there. Ambassadors become really important people. Um, so our African ambassadors control, uh, have got soft power, they've got trade, and they've got the diffid money. They're quite, those, are, those people are then quite big figures. They're really important for us. And the actual contest in Africa is the most important one for us with China. Because for me, the contest is, it, as we enter the 22nd century, as our children, our grandchildren enter the 22nd century, 
do we want an Africa shaped like China or an Africa shaped like Europe? So that contest about democratization, that contest uh, about civil society, uh, lack of corruption, participation, that's where, and, and that, you don't need to say we're not having, uh, we're not having Chinese investment, we're not having Chinese students. You're saying something different. You're saying you have your model and we have our model and we're going to promote ours really hard because I would rather have an Africa at the end of the century looking more like Europe than like China. And I think that's, it's, like I suppose I said at the beginning of this, like, if you've got a hard problem, don't go down into the weeds. Go up and kind of frame it. What's the actual big strategic question? Are we going to trade with China? Yes, we are. Does the world need to trade with China? It's so much part of the, the economy. Um, and somebody wants, I mean, a pre-COVID comment to me was, was a, a brilliant one from a German social democratic politician. We're kind of back and forth about China uh, and the clothing industry in China and the, the cheap clothing. And the, um, the politician said, do you know what? China's got, you know, China's got to sell a lot of uh, T-shirts to us uh, to be able to afford one Airbus. Um, so the, the trade going back and forth is important for us. And uh, just kind of on uh, Saudi Arabia from uh, where I'm sitting in Newcastle, it's really important so that they spend all their money in Newcastle United mm. right, and uh, lift the <laughs> local economy. But as an aside, so some quick fire questions. So thank you very much. That's just, as always, fascinating and, and riveting in, in, in talking to you. Mm. So you said your music is behind you. So what music do you like? So I'm a, uh, I was a punk uh, in the 70s. I ran one of the first punk fanzines in Scotland. Uh, and... Still, a bit, still loyal to that. I love live music. I went on a journey from uh, from punk uh, to to noise, kind of industrial music, and then from that into uh, avant-garde jazz, freeform jazz, um, and then the, further, the current bit of my journey is techno. I'm massively, into, I'm massively into to techno wow. and trance, and I and that's the biggest thing I'm missing now is I, I, last weekend was meant to be the Field Day Festival and Bicep, the Belfast duo were going to be headlining and that. Um, a world without being able to go to live music is, um, I'm not sure that's a world worth living in. So that's, a, that's one of my biggest things. Yeah, I, I, and I, you, you, you know I, how much I like live events. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I absolutely support you. So what's the best book you've read recently? Um, uh, I read The Leopard. Uh, by Lampedusa, which is a, gr a fantastic historical novel um, uh, set in Sicily around the uh, the unification. Uh, it's such a humane book, such a it's got a depth of history about Sicily. It's quite a conservative book, but uh, conservative in the, the famous line in it is um, things must change if they are to stay the same. So it's got a sense of the resilience of institutions. It's got a deep historic sweep. Uh, fantastic description of the Sicilian landscape made me basically want to go to Sicily. You know, so quite, it was reassuring in lockdown to, to read about a very different place than, than urban London. But it was also, uh, but that that's probably the top one. But I've I've taken to sending people lockdown COVID uh, packages of like uh, the, the last three books I thought was really uh, really really stunning. The, uh, Ginsburg's Little Virtues, um, just some things that are kind of like. You go, whoa! That's really that's you know the the bits where they connect with you have insight uh, for yourself. Uh, and John Berger, I always go back to John Berger's essays. So I've been reading a lot about art from John Berger, and then wanted to get back to galleries to be able to stand and look at things. 
Uh, that's just fantastic. I have got just kind of a couple of questions because I cannot resist. Mm. Uh, I just cannot resist. And, I, and I'm always, so there's kind of two or three questions, quick questions that I wanted to ask you. Right. Um, and one is kind of a couple of them from a personal point of view. So let's kind of deal with the first one. So discounting Tony and discounting Julie, who is the best politician? Uh, Barack Obama, in that his, his words could shape the world. Um, and that, for me, is a very important thing that the... Often politicians think their legacy is the thing they built. Um, the law they passed or the thing they built. Um, and I always say to politicians, whenever you're going through a railway station, look for the plaque by the forgotten politician because there are many, many monuments to forgotten people. Language is a legacy. So for me, some of the greatest, the great, the great politicians, the ones whose language still resonates, like Bobby Kennedy's does, like bits of JFK's do. So Barack Obama's one of the people, when, when, when it, what would he do when he had the biggest problem? He sat down and wrote a speech to solve it. And that for me is, is one of the, the keynotes of the, of the great and lasting impact. Okay, so um, I, I'll have a, f a final one, but, but two or three quick questions before then. Uh, so Scottish independence in the next 10 years, yes or no? No. no. Uh, Nor Northern Ireland, Ireland reunification in the next 10 years, yes or no? No, no one's going to pay 100 euros for any. <laughs> no Brit is going to pay 100 euros for any. Oh, let's get down to the absolute logic. Let's get down to the, the, the to, to to the nitty gritty. But if you were given advice, and the last question, if you were given advice to people right now, so you know you you talked about it, and mm. and I often say it's not the end of something; it's the beginning of something. Um, yeah. So when they talk about this kind of new normal, you know, it's mm. it's not; it's just a transition, and we're going through a transition yeah. period. And what has happened is COVID has kind of given us the opportunity. You know, a painful opportunity, but an opportunity to examine a lot of things. And you mentioned the environment, etc. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, so what would be the advice that you would give to people? It kind of give away because you says, you know, words are important. And I'm talking you in here, giving you time to think. But words are words are important. You know, kind of positioning is important. Legacy is in the words. So what would you say? The one piece of advice I always give to people is be present and connected, because I think that when you are somewhere, you need to be present there. Whatever that moment is, be present in that moment because presence delivers a bit of you. But being present means listening. Is that, that thing we've discussed before? A conversation isn't just waiting for your turn to speak. <laughs> it's, it's, so that be present and be connected because we live in a, we do not live in a world of heroic individuals, we live in a world of great collaborations. Mm. Things are done by teams, things are done by networks. Uh, and I, I will always do a favor for people who ask for a favor. I'll always make a connection because I know networks are the most valuable thing. And if you have networks, share them. And if you share them, you grow them. Uh, and for me, be present and be connected, and that will actually uh, that will deliver a lot for you. Okay, from one of my heroes, and uh, you know, from a gifted communicator and strategist. Right, I thank you for your time today, and I uh, look forward to it. So, John McDermott, thank you very much. Thank you. 
If you're interested in change, mindset and personal development, whether in your personal life or career, you can head over to morristuffy.com forward slash resources, where you'll be able to access loads of inspirational material, articles, podcasts and motivational thoughts, as well as meditation and visualization exercises. You can also get in touch with Dr. Maurice Duffy and his team by email on let's talk at maurisduffy.com. And don't forget to follow him on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. Simply search for at the Beak Squawks.